0: You know so yeah i kind of just had to do yeah, it make your own mistakes anyway. yeah, yeah. Exactly. and i did so i added an extra zero to the sulfur calculation uh, for the chardonnay yeah. um the pinot uh, tasted like rubber that had been set light
1: nice hello and welcome to the x animo podcast my name is david clark it has been a long time since our last podcast We have been busy selling wine and trying to make up for the periods of prohibition here in South Africa as best we can. Uh, But with the sharp incline in positive COVID cases, principally in the Gauteng province in the north of the country recently, the South African government has once again prohibited the sale of alcohol and banned in situ dining at restaurants. This has given us the opportunity to have the time to edit and release some podcast episodes that we recorded last year um, that we never released. Today on the podcast, we have Peter Allen Finlayson, winemaker and co-owner of the very successful Chris Dallin label, and now winemaker of his father-in-law's Cabriol's Clouff Wines, both based in Bot River I first met Peter Allen, or as most people know him, Finn, when he was pouring his wine at the same booth as Chris and Cezanne Arlite at Cape Wine 2012. He was the first sort of young gun winemaker from South Africa that I'd come across that was specialising in Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Uh, Most others were using Chenin Blanc and Syrah. One of the main purposes of this podcast is to produce a document of record and not necessarily to talk about a single release too much. But it is worth noting that this conversation took place in July 2020, almost exactly one year ago, and Finn had just released his 2019 Crystal wines. So that is the vintage we reference mostly throughout this episode. As you'll hear, Finn and I are quite good friends, and we didn't always keep it strictly professional <laughs> throughout this conversation. And there are some nice little verbal jabs at each other along the way. I wanted to chat to Peter Allen for a few reasons: one, because he makes very good wine, obviously; two, as I already mentioned, because he's one of the few of the younger generation focusing on Burgundian varieties; and three, because he has a different perspective than many of the of his contemporaries in the way he approaches his business. He approaches the business of wine, uh, which is a really interesting conversation for me. Uh, enough from me, uh, I give you Peter Allen Finlayson. I'm here with Peter Allen Finlayson. Hello, Finn, how are you? Hello,
0: David, I'm good, how are you? Good, cool, nice one.
1: Where are we sitting, you tell me? We
0: are going. sitting in the uh, boardroom uh, of Khabrielskloef wine estate.
1: Okay, and where where we are?
0: we're still? That is in Botrava, uh, in the northern edge of the Walker Bay wine region.
1: Is it the northern edge, is
0: it? It areas? is. I like oh, to call okay. it the northern edge. The, the slightly warmer edge of the cooler climate, uh, Walker uh, Bay okay. wine <laughs> region, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh,
1: so we're what, about an hour's drive from Cape Town, sort of southeast ish um,
0: Yeah, so obviously depending on when you leave Cape Town, um, because yes, it so is, the is a city with the worst yeah, traffic yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, let's say an hour southeast ish of Cape Town on the road towards Hermanus. Cool man. Yeah. And so you're the winemaker here, you, um, and there's a uh, Cristallum also is. Yeah. There's a, there's a a another a brand, Cristallum, a, uh, a jewel that one. I also dabble with. Yeah. Uh, where I make I make the wine here as well. Okay. Yeah. For those who don't know you, yeah. Maybe give us a brief introduction of
1: on your journey in wine. I mean, you come from a wine family. I mean, the Finlayson name is a is quite a famous one
0: in South Africa. Um, yeah, I mean, you say it, Finlayson or Finlayson? It depends who I'm talking to. You. Oh, okay, yeah, so right. with you, what, I'd what, say, what about like, your, what about so in, with low, low brow kind of people and Me, yeah. uh, you know, interactions, <laughs> it'll be Finlayson, yeah, okay, and then obviously, if it's more posh and I'm trying to impress somebody, uh, Finlayson, Finlayson, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so that's how it goes. Cool, so why don't we start kind of at the beginning? Yeah. So let's just start with the first Finlayson to uh set foot on South African soil. Well, how about was, that? Okay. okay, right, yeah. So, Maurice Finlayson uh, was a Scottish national, and he was a doctor, uh, a pathologist, to be precise. Mm-hmm. And in the 30s, uh, South Africa had a typhoid problem, and they sent out a request for foreign doctors to come and help uh, with typhoid in South Africa. So, in 1934, 35, he arrived in South Africa. Okay. Um, yeah, to help with the typhoid problem. Wow. So, that was, the, that was the first. Cool. Um, he was doing work and research at UCT and he met my grandmother, Eleanor mm-hmm. uh, Floyd at that stage, became Finlayson. Uh, she was a, a senior medical student. Um, yeah, they married soon afterwards. And from then… Uh, I wonder how many doctors actually end up marrying? medical students or... Well, I kind of think they, have, they don't really have much choice, yeah, that's you really know. Really like that's kind of all... The... For 20 years, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. just <laughs> <worth> studying <laughs> yeah, yeah. and spending time in hospitals. So,
1: yeah. Just the restriction of opportunity there is... Uh...
0: No, exactly. Then they have children who become doctors. Yes, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know. So, it's just uh, a... Yeah. Yeah. So, then he, late 30s, um, he moved from UCT then to a laboratory in the middle of Cape Town. So, a building, it was actually, the building was called Dumbata. Um, was close to where Green Market Square is now and the lab that he was using to work and for research Mm -hmm. was next door to the lab where samples of imported wines used to land up for taste testing. So all wines that came into South Africa that were imported to Africa uh, were tested uh, and were tasted and he became friends with the gentleman who was doing the tasting and the examining and he used to get leftover wines, uh, you know, from the guy. Okay. And that's where his interest in wine came from. So then 1948, they, my parent, grandparents bought Hartenberg. So they lived in Constantia prior to that. And, um, so H- Hartenberg's um, in Stellenbosch? Yes. Um, is it Bokleray area? Yeah, Bokleray yeah. area, yeah. exactly. So they bought that in 1948. My grandfather carried on being a, a doctor, a pathologist. So my grandmother was really the one, Eleanor, uh, Finlayson uh, was the one who ran the farm and mm-hmm. she, uh, besides having vineyards, uh, and planting vineyards, she had chickens, she had pigs. She was a, a really a, a, a farmer, you know, mm. salt of the earth um, and uh, incredible woman. I, I got to know her when I was younger, um, really, really lovely, lovely, lovely lady and anyone that you speak to that knew her uh, only has good and amazing things to, to mm-hmm. say about her. So I'm assuming, obviously with the name, this is, this is your father's parents? Yes. Yeah yeah so yeah there's in fact obviously a, a chardonnay that tart big made that's called the Eleanor that's mm-hmm. named after my okay. my grandmother Eleanor um, okay, cool. yeah so that was 1948. Uh, the other reason for having the farm was that my grandfather Morris uh, had a, a side hustle in producing anti-venom um, course, using uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, using retired racehorses. All right okay. yeah. Awesome. So yeah, those racehorses, you know, thought that they were going to go and, uh, you know, spend time wandering around in meadows. But little or, did they know. Or off
1: to stud or. You know, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Area. You know, they got injected with, uh, you know, black mamba venom. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, another reason why they had the fun. Yeah. So yeah, and then I think that went that went fairly well for us for a while. They couldn't use the Hartenberg trademark because somebody else had it. Okay. Um so they called the wine Montan.
1: Okay, so they were producing yeah.
0: their own they weren't just buying like producing grapes and then. No, no, like, no, 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 they were producing their own wine. Yeah. Okay. Um and my yeah. uncle Walter was the the winemaker, I think, from the sort of sixties. So what did you say the name was? Of the Montan. Montan. Montan, yeah, so French for mountain. Okay. You know? You know how today. Montaigne. Yeah. yeah. So, you know today everyone uses Latin names, you know? Yes. So, that, that in those days... Pretentious motherfuckers. Y- exactly. You know? Like... <laughs> but obviously, those days, it was still French. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So, that, yeah, Latin is vaguely European. You know, whereas. so in, tw- in 20 years' time, people are going to be ripping off the Latin names, like Cristolan and... Xanima. Colimelo, Xanima. You know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the moment, I think it's it's still pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. It's the right kind of pretentious. It's the way to go. You know, it says intellectual, it says highbrow, it says, you know. It's just lazy a lot of the time. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> and Google Translate makes it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To know? get wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> very, very true. Uh,
1: and so they sold that at some point? or No, so or?
0: they're unfortunately 19... Um, I think towards the end of 1976, 1977, they lost the farm. So in those days, the, the interest rates shot up to about 25% um, and they were quite you know heavily indebted and they just they couldn't keep up with the payments. Um, so that was, I think my father, he was studying at Geisenheim at the time and he was called back to come and help out on the farm okay. um, at that point, but it was too late. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, yeah, they lost the farm. My father then went on to get a job at Bochendal, uh, where he worked for three years. Um, so, and, Bochendal's in Francia? Uh, yes, yeah. at Bochendal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, very grand property. Very, very grand. Yeah. It's, it's, beautiful, beautiful yeah. property. It is know. a
1: very bit of a snapshot in, in colonial South Africa. So that, Ab-
0: absolutely. Yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't think we're going to talk about colonial South Africa No, 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 no. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, so. not here to... Um, not a political podcast. No. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of...
1: Uh, the actual property and how it's laid out and... For
0: sure. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's a, a real sort of piece of history.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's and, a better way of putting and, and, it. And with, yeah. and with
1: all of the, the good and bad
0: that entails. Absolutely. And there's always bad. So three years at Bushnell, and then he was approached by Tim Hamilton-Russell uh, for the job at uh, Hamilton-Russell Vineyard. So... Mm-hmm. Became the first winemaker there and the first winemaker in the Himmeln mm-hmm. uh, Artur. So Tim the and Russell venue? is Anthony's,
1: Anthony's father. Anthony's father,
0: correct. And he established Hampton
1: Russell in what was just Walker Bay then.
0: Yeah, and there was nothing there. There yeah. were no vineyards. There's no history of vineyards yeah. being planted in that area. Um, there is history of vineyards being planted, I think, further up towards Caledon yeah. and surrounding there, but certainly not uh, behind Hermanus. Yeah. So um, So really the one of the, the real pioneers of the of the area. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, you know, I think, look, I think they had a house in the minus, and that might have uh, played a role in them wanting to, <laughs> yeah. to have vineyards there, but, yeah, yeah if you look at the, the history of the Himalinata, you know, it's, it's, it's a very short one, yeah. um, and I think the wines have shown, uh, you know, that they certainly belong there, or, mm. you know, it's an area that belongs in the wine world. Your father um, was the first winemaker there, or was? Yeah, he
1: was yeah. the first. Yeah. Okay, okay.
0: He was the first, and then he spent uh, I think he spent ten years there, mm-hmm. and then he uh, the property next door came up for sale, and he got a, a group of shareholders together and uh, some finance, and they bought it and started building up for Felissen. So that was 1989, 1990. Okay, and obviously Bouchard being the Burgundian Paul, family, Paul Bouchard, yeah, yeah so okay. 13th generation Bouchard. Yeah. Obviously multiple Bouchards uh, in Burgundy. I think they had also uh, struggled with their business, uh, and he was no longer involved uh, in the, the Bouchard that he was involved in, and therefore also looking for something else to do. Okay. So this is like yeah. late
1: 80s, early 90s, is yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. And so you were still sort of you were entering high school at
0: that time. I was uh, not quite. No, 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 no. no. I was you? I was born in eighty one. So, okay. yeah, yeah, so yeah, are okay. Yeah. So you still yeah, yeah. in primary school at that point. I was still in primary school okay. at that point. Yeah yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And so, were you always going to be in wine then? Is that kind of sounds like?
0: Well, I'd like to think it was a, um, you know, it was something that was thought about deeply and and <laughs> <laughs> planned meticulously. But yeah, not like most things in my life. I you oh. know I've just kind of. I'm going to say wandered into things, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, wandered into things. Yeah, yeah. That bumped into
1: you and you, you haven't
0: moved out of the way quick enough. So <laughs> exactly. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. No, not, not quite, but it, yeah, it was something that I'd always kind of thought that I would go into. Yeah. I considered going into medicine and I actually did an internship at a, a psychiatric hospital mm-hmm. uh, when I was 16 for a couple of days and then realized that I didn't want to go into medicine. Uh, also realized that I didn't have the grades. Yeah right. To go into medicine, okay. so you know, yeah. um, scrapped that idea. Then I spent a year. I took a gap year, mm-hmm. as was all the rage, uh, late nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, went to the UK. Uh, worked in a bar, in a restaurant. You know, had some interesting experiences. So I uh, spent the year there. Then went went to Selma University, two thousand and one. Um, started studying viticulture and there. Uh, had so people when, like. When, when did you make the decision that wine
1: was going to be? Was it in the gap here, or was it? No, it was just kind or? of yeah, just kind of something
0: that that sort of in last couple of years of high school. Yeah, last couple of years of high school. That's okay. that's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and did you
1: spend much time? I mean, how much time did you spend at uh, at Bouchard, like in the winery with your dad and stuff?
0: Not much you? in the winery at all. Yeah. Okay. So I hadn't really spent uh, a lot of time in the winery uh, before I made the first Cristallum wines. So I'd spent time in the tasting room. Um, you know, that was. Yeah, I think my dad always, what he really tried to instill in me was, was the, how important the sales side and the business side of uh, wine was. Um, which I now realize is obviously really, really important, you know. So, uh, that was something that I was always more involved in than, than any of the actual winemaking. Yeah, <laughs> um, Yeah. so, my uh, unfortunately the winemaking studying side uh, of things only lasted about two and a half years. So, I, uh, I wasn't a great student at okay. all. You know, kind of, I felt like the reason for being at university had very little to do with actual studying yes, okay. and actual work and a lot to do with other activities. So, social uh, social activities, yeah. you know, yeah. that kind of thing, which is important. You know, it's all those soft skills that you develop um, socially mm. become very important later in life. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was also, I got involved in a play. Uh, I was an actor for about six months. Okay. Yeah. Um, what was the play? The play was called Such Is Life and it was okay. five episodes of a, a, a comedy, sort of soap drama run, right. type of thing and yeah. where, where was it playing? It was, there was a club called Life Okay in Stelemoche And the play was called uh, Such Is Life? Such Is Life, yeah okay. Exactly yeah. And why? Uh, A friend of mine asked me if I wanted to audition. Okay. And once again, it was like, wow, why not? I can't be bothered not to. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That seemed like it seemed like a fun, (laughs) seemed like a fun thing to do and a fun distraction. Did it study all that? From yeah, yeah. a a great distraction from chemistry. Mm. So um, yeah, so I did that. Um, You know, looking back, probably wasn't the most responsible decision. But there was a history of making decisions that weren't terribly responsible. So it was true to four. True to four, exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I think about two, two and a half years into what was originally a four-year degree, but by that point would have taken me six years. Okay, so you completed um, six
1: months worth of work. Pretty in much.
0: Years. Pretty much, yeah. I changed to a degree called Value and Policy Studies, which was a, a type of PPE um, that they offered at St. They don't offer it anymore. What's PPE? Uh, Politics, Philosophy, Economics. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, I had a girlfriend at the time who was studying that, and seemed like an interesting you know, worthwhile thing to do. So <laughs> I moved over and, and did that, which I actually really, really enjoyed. Okay. Yeah. What part of that did you enjoy? I enjoyed uh, a lot of it actually. I enjoyed the philosophy classes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed economics, to be yep. to be honest. Not the first year, but second, third year. Yep. Um, Cause, I mean, yeah. Because philosophy and economics sort of have a,
1: uh, I mean, they're linked in a way, but they're quite uh, separate in a way as well. I mean, philosophy is a lot about, um, uh, theory and and meaning, whereas economics is more about actual uh, practice and, and outcomes. Yeah, they seem to be quite a, a separate. I mean, you can obviously philosophy of economics, but yeah. did, And did you find was it one or both of those that those aspects of those things that you, you found interesting, or was it just sorry? Could you repeat the question? <laughs> yeah. Or could you ask the question in a meaningful way so I, <laughs> I know how to answer it? Yeah,
0: well, it, they seem quite divergent. Yeah. They seem quite um, in opposite. I mean, yeah, they, they are, but it's also, you know, it's certainly first year economics, you know, you're learning uh, micro and macro economics, you know, you're learning, learning about, uh, you know, economic theory and it's, it's not, you know, it's models, it's not terribly interesting, but once you get into second, third year, yeah. then you're learning about the history of economics. Yes. Uh, you know, then you're, yeah, you're learning about, uh, you know, different. Attitudes and and where our modern you know economic systems come from and, mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing. So that definitely ties in more with yeah. uh, okay. with philosophy. Yeah. Okay.
1: And I mean, obviously, you said that you were sort of more um, drawn towards the business aspect. Yeah. Of of the wine game originally, yeah. at least.
0: Yeah. Maybe that was sort of
1: pulled you through there and and made you look at at the business aspect a little bit, uh, with a bit of a broader scope perhaps? I
0: suppose, yeah. I think it definitely does give one a bit of perspective, you know, and Mm. something that I think's helped me uh, down the line Mm. in terms of just being able to step back and, and look at something Critically.
1: Um, so you completed that degree or? I did. Okay.
0: I did complete it, yeah. What, just last year or did you get around to doing that or <laughs> did you finally get the certificate? Uh, no, I completed it in the uh, in the allotted time. Did you? Yes. Look at you go. Yeah. yeah right. I did. So I did. yeah. So it was, yeah. the, it was look, just... it is a Bachelor of Arts, so yeah, yeah. so you know, there wasn't the quite the pressure, academic pressure on yes. it oh, right. so, as there was on the uh, Bachelor of Science. Okay, so it required 45 minutes a week rather than you, four, and, four, and, four and, and a half hours. Four and a half hours, something like that, okay. you know, so yeah. for sure. So, But while I was doing that, mm. my father had a, an agency to sell imported wine barrels uh, from Burgundy, Mario Barrels, and he, uh, yeah, he wanted to pass that on to somebody, and the fact that I was spending six years at university getting a three-year degree um you know, we certainly felt it was time for me to start earning a bit of money, just yeah. start paying so for my stuff. You know, yeah. so which is fair, you know, I, I couldn't re- I wasn't in a position to argue. Yeah. So I said, cool, I'll take it over and I started selling selling barrels and okay. going around to to winemakers, chatting to them, um Uh, yeah, barrel smoking, you know, which we like to call it in South Africa. Mm. And, uh, yeah, something that I was was fairly good at for a year and then lost a bit of interest in it, well, for a couple of years at least. Mm. But through that period, kind of speaking to, you know, winemakers tasting and that kind of thing, then really started becoming interested in wine again. Finished that degree, also didn't really know what I wanted to do and I certainly didn't want to study anymore. So I spoke to my dad about um, starting up a new wine brand. There were new vineyards being planted in the Himalayan Ridge area yeah. uh, around where creation is. Approached a couple of growers to sell some fruit to me and yeah, that's kind of how it started. But initially, more interested in the uh, the marketing, the kind of the branding side of it. Yes. But had to make the wines uh, as you know, couldn't pay somebody else to do it. Yes. And through that, practically uh, being forced to make the wines, um, I r- realised that it was something that I actually really really enjoyed. Yeah. Know? So wasn't particularly good at the theory. Wasn't particularly good at uh, at being an academic and learning about about the chemistry of it and the physics of it. But uh, worked out that I really enjoyed. The making of it in practice, yeah. Yeah, and what year was this? That was 2007. So my cousin, um, who is now Carolyn Martin, was Carolyn Finlayson. Mm-hmm. She lent me cellar space uh, for the for 2007. Uh, they gave it to me for free, uh, which is incredibly kind of them. Um, made Chardonnay, Pinot, and Sauvignon Blanc. The Sauvignon Blanc was the only wine that actually made it into bottle. You know, once again, not having done any cellar work or having any completed any. You know, so, wine so, so, so who sort of held your hand
1: through that process then?
0: Well, my dad gave me uh, you know some advice and notes. And obviously I was on the phone to him uh, quite regularly, but he was involved in Bushrod-Fillingston Harvest. Yeah. Um, you know, so, yeah, I kind of just had to do you it. Make your own mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. and I did. So I added an extra zero to the sulphur calculation uh, for the Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, the Pinot uh, tasted like rubber that had been set light. Nice, you know, left like that for a couple of years. Yeah. Th- that kind of thing, so it's you not know? like a drag
1: race. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, so.
0: <laughs> so those, yeah, those two batches weren't fit for market. Yeah, but two thousand and eight, the next year, I rented space at La Vierge. Uh Mark Van Aldrin, who's now making wine in Australia, was very kind to mm-hmm. give me space there. Is it Delumber? Um, I think Is he's at Delumber. Yeah. yeah, doing really, really well. Delumber, really, really, you know, great guy. F- uh, fits very well into the Australian. Way of life, I think. Yeah, from what yeah. I can gather through the magic of Facebook, he seems to have uh, assimilated it. quite well. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I think he has. Um, yeah, so spent two vintages there making wine, and in 2008, the Pinot's turned out a lot better, the Chardonnay's a lot better. First vintage of Clay Shales, uh, of Peter Max, and of Kivo Cinema. Okay, so 08 was really when yeah. things
1: got sort of commercially yeah. viable and the direction that you're now... That was the, sort of the... 07 was sort of the kick in the pants that you sure. to... Like, I can see, I need to get
0: some shit done here. Exactly. Yep. Where,
1: where does the name Crystal? We I mean, we alluded to it before, but what's what was so there?
0: we we had shares in a property called Crystal Clef, mm-hmm. uh which is between uh, Hermanus and Stanford. Mm-hmm. And the original idea was to plant vineyards there, uh, set up a, a you know a basic cellar there. But we um, we struggled with some of the zoning issues. Uh, they changed the laws, I think, just before we had uh, wanted to do the, the rezoning of the property. And the best vineyard sites on that property. Uh, there was, you know, pristine, or there still is, pristine fynbos that grows um, in that area, and some plant species that are endemic uh, to that particular area. So, really, didn't feel like we should be the guys to uh, rip that up yeah, okay. and plant vineyards. Yeah. And then also, when I married Nicolene um, Haynes, now Finlayson, uh, the opportunity arrived to uh, come to Gabriel's Cliff. Yeah. Um, so we sold that property, but Crystal Cliff. Uh, crystalline being the Latin for crystal, that's how it uh, came okay. about. Yeah, cool, cool.
1: Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, I mean obviously with Hamilton Russell and, and your father, Pinot Noir and, and Chardonnay are, are pretty, you know, uh, make a lot of sense. Yep. From, if you zoom out to the world of wine, South Africa, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay doesn't tend to make a lot of sense on the surface, yep. what were your thoughts with, when, when you were going into it, did you think, well, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir offer the best Path to market. Yeah, is that was that what you, were, you were? Yeah, thinking, it's or?
0: it's um, you know it's a big part of it. Obviously, you know I think it is it is surprising that the Yalnida works as well as it does. You know, but I think the, the proof is kind of in the wines that have been produced from there. You know, it's uh, there aren't that many growers, there aren't that many producers, um, and originally Hamilton Russell had I think uh, most of the the kind of the classic cultivars planted, all the Bordeaux varieties were planted. Um, you know, and over time they realised that Chardonnay you Pinot know, did really really well there, and yeah, dropped the others, and that's what they focused on. You know, mm. so I think the Yumilenaider it's it's a combination of, of soil. You know, having clay uh, in in most of the vineyards, a bit of granite, obviously where Neaton Johnson are, and also having a, a very cold ocean kind of going past. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, that's probably the key to it being yeah. a. Being a cooler region,
1: yeah. yeah, but I mean it's, it's it's fascinating. And maybe we can chat about the Imilano as a sort of geological uh, feature yeah. for a moment. Because if you go from Cape Town southeast towards Cape Agullis you go through obviously through uh, 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 obviously through Stellenbosch first, yeah. then into Krugbeu um, Elgin area, yeah. which is apples and pears yeah. elevated. Um surrounded three sixty degrees on, with mountains, so the cool ocean air gets trapped there. So yep. cool climate there. Yeah. Then you go through the next pass, which is I can't remember the name. Hohuk. Hohuk. Yep. Um into Botrofea. Yeah. Well, done. Yep. well uh, done again, sure. But it's it's no longer apples and pears situation here. Mm. It's much warmer yep. it is an Elgin. Yeah. Um, and then you keep going down further and you get to Ilanada, yep. where it's cool again. Well, it's, oh, yeah. So, how, how, how is Himalayan Arda different to Botrofia in terms of? Because I don't see a lot of Chardonnay Pinot Noir in
0: Botriva. So, Botriva is quite a lot warmer than the Himalayan Arda. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, to give you an indication of rainfall, We've averaged uh, in, on this farm, Carver's Clough, about 300, between 300 and 350 mils in the last five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year's looking better. Yeah. Um, whereas Himalayan otters average 600 to, to 650, and those are low rainfall areas. So Himalayan yeah. otter uh, gets close to double the amount of rainfall. Yeah. Uh, that we get in uh, in Kharboskloef. And, and, the and we're 20 kilometres as the exactly. crow flies, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so... so we're, looking, um, we're looking at the mountain. It's yeah. got to do with so the mountain range, the, you know, yeah. so yeah. Sort of a rain um, shadow. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and Elgin's even wetter than, than Himalayanada is, mm. you know. So Elgin is, is, strictly speaking, a cooler region mm-hmm. um, than Himalayanada is. But I think a lot of why Himalayanada works is that it's moderate. And also closer to the ocean, the ocean acts as a, as a moderating influence. So it mm. doesn't have the winter cold yes, uh, that Elgin has but also doesn't have the heat, okay. you know. So the the key there is that summers don't get too warm. Okay. Um, you know, and that's that's critical, you know, that Pinot just, uh, there, there aren't those heat spikes yes. that uh, that cause raisining, that cause premature ripening yeah. uh, in Pinot, um, and I think that's really the key here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and
1: would you think the iamon uh area is, the best area in South Africa for Pinot Noir. I think so. Yeah, yeah, that we know of, obviously. Yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. There's a lot of spaces up there, and maybe series, you know, absolutely, other, yeah, other cooler areas, yeah, high altitude areas might come yeah. be before in years to come. But you know, yeah, as you say, it's not Pinot I mean, when did the first proper proper um, vines come into the country for Pinot I mean, I know the first ones in Hamilton Russell were sort of sort of smuggled in and, and maybe went in the, the best
0: <laughs> No, no, I think I think the, I think the Pinot Cone, the Chardonnay was was certainly smuggled in. You know, yeah, that's, okay. Uh, um, but the Pinot was, was legitimate. Oh, was uh, it? Okay, right. But it was the BK5 clone, which is a Swiss uh, bubbly clone, yes. that was used. So I think that was, I think Marathi were actually the first people to plant Pinot Noir in South Africa, but mm-hmm. I, I say that under correction. But yeah, the first Pinots that were made were from the BK5 clone and uh, I think were by all accounts fairly successful, considering the clonal material. So mm-hmm. it was never intended as a high-quality yeah. uh, clone. And then in the late sort of middle uh, middle to late nineties, that's when the Dijon clones uh, started becoming quite common yeah, in right. South Africa. Yeah, so uh, twenty-five years. Yeah, and that and that's really when the quality saw a, mm. a really really big spike. You know, yeah. so but there's uh, I mean Christian.
1: Ead's, who's yeah. one of the the more important wine domestic wine commentators for sure, yeah, um, isn't really sold on serving Pinot Noir. Do you think that maybe have something to do with it in terms of that's only had the proper clonal material in, in the country for 25 years, or do you think it might be a something else?
0: I don't know. Okay, <laughs> no, look, it's it's possible, but it's also if you look at how many. Um, you know, you look at the quality of our, our Syrah, you know, mm-hmm. you look at, and how many excellent examples there are of Syrah at every price point, you know. Yeah, Pinot, there's still a handful, mm. you know. So, I think Christian's certainly, um, you know, starting to elevate his scores, uh, for Pinot, mm. um, but he's cautious, which is also no bad thing, mm. you know. I think, um, You know, when scores start getting too high, then it it also, it helps for a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. You know, but it also sends out the message, oh, you you guys are doing a really, really good job, you know. So, I mean, certainly in my own... Uh, if I look at you know myself, it's the, the times that I've gotten lower scores, you know, have certainly inspired me to more action than, than yeah. higher scores. Not that I want anybody to ever give me low scores. know, yes. but you know, there's a commercial aspect to it, and then there's a uh, a, a, a personal growth aspect yeah, yeah. to it as well. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't I don't mind it, and you know, also every year that I taste with Christian, I see it as a challenge. You know. Um, to S- kind of just slip, slip some syrup in there. Get him, uh, get him a little bit more. Uh, well, I make that as well, now. You know, so, um, get him a little bit more excited about Pinot. But um mm. yeah, I, I don't see him as being. You know, I think he is. He is uh, fairly critical of of Pinot, but I, I, mm. I, yeah, I think that that's. Um, so, at what point did you become okay. really passionate about Chardonnay and Pinot Noir? I mean, yeah. So I actually, fun? I can kind of remember the exact moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 2007, when I made wine for the first time, and obviously didn't make it very successfully, I then spent uh, August and September traveling in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went over to Burgundy for the first time, um, and I was standing in, I was in a cellar, and there was, uh, there was the old, you know, kind of uh, patriarch of the family, and, uh, you know, he was barking instructions at people and it was um, Domaine Le Lejeune. It's, it's not a particularly well-known domain in Pomar. Um, and there were, you know, the bunch of students kind of helping, music playing, um, you know, chucking fruit in a whole bunch into these ancient, you know, wooden open fermenters. Um, and it was, yeah, I just had this kind of almost incredible feeling of, wow, this is, this is pretty special. Mm. You know, I. I kind of so it wasn't actually a wine; it was sort of the. Experience. No, no, it was kind yeah. of that experience. You know, yeah. and it was look the, that whole trip, the the wines I tasted, the people I met. Um, you know, it, yeah, it was it was, kind of through that period, I, I sort of realised actually, you know, there's there's something to this. You know, there's there's something else here. There's something, um, you know, when, when you grow up in a wine family, um, you know, you, you see the the realities of it, and it's it's not easy. You know, I look at when my dad was making wine, when he was. Uh, involved in new businesses, setting up businesses. You know that was, uh, you know, mid '80s, um, not a great time in the history of South Africa. Um, late '80s, you know, early '90s, transitioning from apartheid. Um, had of exciting times in some ways, but a very, very difficult time um, to be starting new businesses. You know, and I think it was hell of a tough. And and we saw that as kids. Um, you know, he was he worked hell of a hard. He was always working. Um, you know, so it, we certainly didn't have that romantic ideal. Of uh, a walk in the clouds, Yeah. you know, and uh, Keanu Reeves sort of wandering around a vineyard yeah. uh, with beautiful ladies, you know, at his side. Like it was very different. Yes. Yeah. So is that the first time you sort of like the sort of the you saw the culture of yeah. of wine in terms of the. Yeah, exactly, in, you in, know, in just in the a, kind in of in the the, positive light rather than the, positive the wonder light. of it, you know, as yeah. well. And and they, you know, at that domain, they kept back a lot of old vintages, and we, we tasted wines from the '60s and the '70s, and you know, everything was made very classically. So 100% whole cluster, um, you know, natural fermentation. It was, yeah. Uh, and then after that, I went to uh, Priorat to go and spend uh, three weeks with the Evansidey. Okay. Yeah. So that was. Uh, also part of my. did you know Ibn beforehand? No, I hadn't met him. I knew of him. Okay. Uh, but just I hadn't... like in uh, Europe and he was the
1: other salivarian. Yeah, my, my dad right. said that yeah. there's this, uh,
0: <laughs> this maverick, yeah. you know, winemaker who released an incredibly expensive crazy wine called yeah. um a few years back and, and why don't I give him a call? You know, so I called him up and Ibn was like, "Yeah, bro, pull in. You know, I was like, okay, I'll pull in. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and I did. He picked me up in Barcelona, um, you know, drove from Barcelona to Prerats, and, you know, he's a a pretty inspiring guy, even, Uh, you know, you look at what he's done, um, you know, for the industry, and just just being around him for three weeks. You know, there wasn't a a whole lot of work Mm -hmm. uh, in those three weeks, uh, but there was a lot of wine drinking, um a lot of talking you know some sense but mostly nonsense, but also a really really fantastic experience and just to see the, the vineyards and ruts and you know be surrounded by uh, you know by all of that was was a great experience. That's actually where I met Craig Hawkins and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Jurgen Ho. Mm-hmm. Um, and fast
1: forward, you know, yep. now in Club. Yeah. how did that, I mean, you said that um, uh, Nicolene uh, Nee Haynes yep. um, was maybe a link in here?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so Nicolene and I were introduced by, uh, well, Penny Verberg, mm-hmm. uh, married to uh, Niels Verberg of larat Well, I think was Niels is married to Penny, to be fair. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, honest. we all we all know he uh, <laughs> he calls the shots there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's not go into that. Um, I was renting cellar space there 2010, uh, and a portion of, of the 2011 vintage. And Penny told me about this girl that had just arrived in Botruva. Um, uh, you know, and, and I got quite excited. And, uh, <laughs> they not, you know, there, well, a girl, not, girl in Botrevi. I was about to say, were there not many here You know, so was, she had me there. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Nicolene didn't know about this because she she had uh, had a boyfriend at that stage. Mm-hmm. And one day, I was driving past the Botrevi Mini Mark, uh, sort of a, a Superette, and uh, Penny called me and said, "Listen, you know, Nicholine's just walked in. Come and, you know, come and meet her." <laughs> So I, I stopped. Off. Did I, turned I turned around. Yes, I turned around. You know, rocked up at the, at the the OK mini market and uh, uh, walked in nonchalantly as if I just arrived there and was introduced to Nicoleen, bought a coke, you know, um, acted cool uh, and left. And um, yeah, and was obviously. You know, just and married of, a week later, or and pretty much, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, was 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 quite taken with her and, and just thought she was she was gorgeous and mm-hmm. um, you know was was hell of a interested in, in getting to know her a bit more. And um, how was you your Afrikaans at that point? Uh, it was okay actually. Yeah. I grew up in a Okay, uh, my mom was a Khoi, so she was okay. from Bloemfontein. So okay. not bad at all. But it has it has become a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, Yeah, so uh, we became friends on Facebook, as one does, and I concocted a story that I needed help with the website, you know, and she was obviously the only person that could help me with my crystalline website. And I think uh, a month or two later, we we got together to work on my uh, website, in inverted commas. Quote, unquote website. Uh, Quote, unquote. (laughs) By that stage, she no longer had a boyfriend. and. yeah, she made And all made the me, groundwork was worth it. All the groundwork was worth it yeah. and I think the first meal she cooked me was a uh, sort of vegetable stew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was it. Okay. Yeah. Done deal. Yeah. There's nothing like a vegetable stew to, uh, you know, get a relationship started.
1: And her link with Cabrera's uh, Cliff is? So her
0: father started Cabrera's mm-hmm. uh Bernard Haynes, uh, they're from a town called Middleburg, which is north of Johannesburg. Uh, he was involved in various businesses, but always wanted to get into wine. His father-in-law was actually the one who uh, sparked his interest in wine. And they had a vacation house in Pringle Bay, so they knew the area. Um, he met up with Barry Anderson, who was the viticulturalist uh, at Wildercrantz. At the time, they found this plot of land, um, yeah, bought the land in 2000, uh, started to prepping, so 2001, 2002, planted in 2003, cool. a lot but of the vineyards. Maybe, yeah. I mean,
1: Botrophy isn't the most well-known wine no.
0: origin in South Africa. Yeah. Maybe chat to us about... Yeah, so, the, so Bernard, you know, the, the, uh, he wanted something in the Overberg. Uh, so the Overberg being sort of anything past uh, Elgin? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. much, you know. But what he wanted was uh, a virgin piece of land, so he wanted to start, start something from the ground up. Um, uh, and he wanted an area that could grow Syrah and the Bordeaux, but was cooler than Stenimush. Okay. You know, so it needed to have the right kind of the right soil profile for those kind of reds, um, but he wanted to make more elegant wines than than what he perceived Stenemosh was making at the time. You know, I think Stenemosh has also changed a hell of a lot yeah. in the last 15 years. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how it developed. Okay,
1: you and Botswana, the place. I mean, it's obviously on a river. but yeah. how, how important is that river to the to the weather?
0: Well, not very. It's no, it's, it's uh, calling it a river uh, is maybe giving it too much I, credit. I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't even know where it is, to be fair. Yeah. Well, it's not I mean, around like, most of the year. You, you see know, the lagoon, so and then it sort of just peters out. It's more of a lagoon yeah, than a river, okay. you know. Um, yeah, it's an interesting place, you know, it's, it's also like a lot of the South African wine regions, it's made up of many different sites and many different places, you know. Yeah. Where we are is very different to where Luddite is, yes. you know. Yes, um, and Benguela Cove right on the And Benguela Cove is, complete. is, is completely different, you yeah. know. So, yeah, so we have our own little microclimate here and, um, you know, and kind of soil profiles and you know, yeah, I think definitely occupy a unique space. So historically, more of a wheat-growing area. And yeah, livestock. Or? So there were vineyards here, pre luxurious. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean Beaumont's been here for a long time. Beaumont's obviously. been here for a long time, um, but yeah, more of a more of a wheat-growing okay. uh, region and, yeah. and canola, Yeah,
1: you made wine at um, at Limelrat, uh, for a couple of, or a vintage
0: or two. Yeah, so post luddite I moved to Yimurant. So Chris Allard and I knew each other. We've known each other since we were um, little. Kids, our parents were lighties. friends at university. Lighties, said it's,
1: it's one of the best words I think South Africa has. Really, lighties, it's, okay. just, it's just perfect. It's, what, does it, it's what
0: does it say to you? Well, it's just l- little light people. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so our parents were friends at universities. Uh, university, at, they studied together at the University of Selimosh. So yeah, we've known each other, you know, all our lives and. Uh, we were we played water polo against each other at high school and uh, lived together in the digs in Stellenbosch. Mm-hmm. Studied together. Neither of us being great students, obviously him better than me though. You know, he finished his uh, bachelor of science degree. Mm-hmm. Who was the uh, better
1: drinker in university? In,
0: in uh, I Butch. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Just uh, no. He, he's the bigger, kind of capacity. He, he's the kind of guy that anything he does, he'll he'll give his all. Mm. You know, be that, uh, you know, making you know, wines from 60-year-old vineyards yeah. or, um, you know, drinking beer at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. He's going to do it well. Yeah, yeah so he, he moved to, to Himorant, a uh, connection through family connection there. Um, I needed a, a space to make wine and he kindly offered me space. Yeah. So we moved around quite a bit. In, so you were in there the 12 years.
1: and 13?
0: Uh, part of 11. So part of 11, 12, 13, 14. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, look that was always going to be a temporary situation, you, you know, know. Chris's business was growing uh, quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some other renegade there
1: at the time as well, wasn't there?
0: Uh, old Mister Mister Scombey, yeah, uh, John, um, the man who can do it all, mm. was there in 2013. Yeah, uh, yeah. Greatest, so that's where I got to know John as greatest well. Greatest chest hair under man as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, I like to think that I have. A, uh, acclaim but not not quite. No, well, no, it's, no. it's it's a bit of a triumph between you, Mick Craven, and John. But I think yeah. John's got you both covered. Yeah, he does. Yeah. You know, win at most things. Yeah. You know? um, so yeah, that that and that was great. You know, I think that was uh, you know certainly my white wine making. Chris had a had a big influence on that, uh, and moving towards a more kind of natural. So
1: what kind of style were you? making white wines beforehand. Um
0: Chardonnay's, I think 11 was the last year where we, we, we inoculated, so added yeast. Um, you know, the, the attitude was being more of a, a wine maker, you know, so just trying to have more influence over the end product. Um, you know, working quite reductively. Chris worked down in Volavide and there he, he was exposed to the style of really, really uh, oxidative uh, juice management, um, natural fermentation, you know, really, really trying to do as little as possible in terms of additives, uh, but working however hard in the vineyard, um, you know, making the right calls. Uh, obviously, hygiene becomes even more important at that stage. And yeah, just a, a way of working where one really respects your fruit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think. And uh, yeah. And then from 2012, I started started working like that. Mm. Yeah. And
1: then, I mean, obviously, we, we're now starting to talk about more sort of vineyard-based wines rather mm. than market-based wines.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: When did you? When did your interest start with the vineyard
0: side of things? Um, are you still involved in the? Vineyards? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm always involved. You know, it's certainly yeah. not, it's not, mean, it's area, not. It's not my area. It's yeah. not It's my area of expertise, yeah. I, don't, I don't claim that it is. But um, uh, it's obviously critical. You know, and I think uh, if we're trying to make wines that, that reflect the vineyard, reflect the. Uh, the areas where we work, you know, then you, you have to be involved in the vineyards, you know. Mm-hmm. So we there's probably about five or six growers that we don't work with anymore that we that we just, you know, our interests weren't aligned, you know, so yeah. we, we've had to be quite ruthless in only working with people uh, that work in the way we want to work mm-hmm. um, and who's, you know, producing fruit that's g- good enough quality. You know, if, yeah. you, if you're naturally fermenting, you're working with low levels of sulfur, uh, you've got to work with with pristine fruits, you yeah. know. So that's that's really important. I mean, you say we oui, because there's there's not just your name on the label. Yeah. So my brother is involved in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an architect as well, so he helps out during harvest. Uh, he's a co-owner of the business, um, but yeah, he's also busy with uh, with other things. Yeah. So yeah. He, he
1: escaped the uh, the clutches of the wine industry. He, he mostly. did mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. yeah. Okay. Cool. For sure. You know, so, so he the So, pla- so, so uh, sorry. Just to talk no, no. back into no, no, the, no, please, the please, vineyard no. side of things. Um, so who manages that for you? As you say, it's not your, your, you know, your, 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 that's not what you're best at. No. Um, who who does that for so you? So we've or got a, a lot
0: of our human of vineyards are managed by Peter Davison. Okay. Uh, who they originally owned a lot of the land at the the human ridge. Uh, where vineyards are planted, mm-hmm. um, and he, he's a fantastic farmer. So we, we've also known each other for a long time. We spearfished together and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, he, he's great at what he does. So I am involved, but uh, you know, he does the he takes care of the day-to-day work. Mm-hmm. Um, other vineyards here in the Valley. So the Freda Vineyard that Hannes Storm and I share. Um, Hannes is very involved now in the farming of that. Yadri um, Lotter, uh, the owner of that farm, is. is also involved to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so Hannes and I chat a lot about uh, about how we farm that. Um, yeah. It strikes me, I mean, obviously I've been talking to a lot of people about the South African wine
1: industry recently for this podcast. Um, yes. Young and old. Yes. Um, i just released uh, a conversation with Johan Malan from Simonson. Oh, fantastic, yeah. Um, a, a lot about his old man as well, yeah. setting up a, and, you know, putting, but the reason why I'm talking about is the focus on vineyard seems to maybe separate new South Africa again, yeah. unquote, from old South Africa, whereas the winemaker first saw the grapes pretty much at the at the winery yeah. um, door. But now that that process is a lot more even throughout the year. Would you Would you agree with that? You think
0: or I think so. Yeah. Look, it's it's still. I mean, the industry is very varied. You know? I think it's uh, you know, and, and uh, we we associate with the the smaller kind of. Uh, more natural uh, producers in the industry you know and there you have to have the focus on the vineyards otherwise the wines yeah. are going to be horrible you know well I think the uh, more focus on the vineyards therefore I think, I think the other one it comes uh, the, the horse has to come before the cart sure there. exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely you know so and I think there, you know if you look at uh, you know Johan Milan and um, uh, that generation a lot of their focus uh, was on new innovations you know new kind of breakthroughs in wine making, yeast selections, all of those equipment. things, and, and yeah. equipment, yeah. you know, so, so that was that was that era of where that was really changing really, really quickly, that was really, really exciting, yeah. and they were keen to use what they could to improve wine making, mm. you know, so. Um, but I'm just
1: thinking like a, a crystalline type business couldn't yeah. have existed in South Africa possibly before it did, if you know.
0: Probably not, yeah, who knows, yeah. but probably not. Yeah. No, I mean, certainly not yeah. like
1: before the 90s, I would have thought.
0: No. no, 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 I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, maybe, um, maybe Neil Ellis disagrees. Yeah, but, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, but I'm just absolutely. trying
1: to trying to work out and lay for people who yeah. who aren't necessarily super well versed in South African wine. May have had a couple, and have got a, a, a deepening interest yeah. of trying to provide a bit more uh, depth in what's happening here and why it's happening. And to do that, you have to um, talk about what has already happened.
0: For sure. Yeah. So it's. I think the the other important point there is that there was this um, school of thought or kind of embedded um, attitude that you had to own and manage your own vineyards um, to make high quality wine, you know, because I think there was also this uh, the growers were growing um, uh, for volume yeah you know and and the, the attitude was that to be a wine you know a grower you had to grow for volume yeah. and that was how you could make money that's
1: how they, as you say that's how they were being rewarded financially exactly they were getting paid per ton not per you know per exactly or,
0: yeah. yeah you know so and then I think somebody like eben was was Neil Ellis obviously before him mm-hmm. but eben really showed that that you could you could do it by renting cellar space you know you could do it by not owning your own vineyards yeah. um, you know you obviously you know had to be incredibly strict about who you worked with and, and how you worked but yeah. you know he showed that you could you could make incredible wines mm-hmm. uh, that way
1: we're jumping around a bit but yeah um, yeah that's the way these things work for sure um, especially when you're uh, a very terrible interviewer like me. if I had some actual questions written down maybe I could a bit more of a narrative.
0: No, no. I'll give you some feedback afterwards. You know, and, and hopefully you can improve next time. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be sure to. Yeah. Uh, I'll be sure to read that rigorously.
1: Uh, <laughs> the, the names of your wines. Yes. Um, Price Shales Peter yeah. Max. They're sort of unique to your brand rather yeah. than the vineyards. Yeah. So is that, is that a do you just decide to name the wines? Um, not referring to the vineyards, so if because they didn't own them,
0: is that exactly? Yeah. So that that was that was part of the reasoning uh, when we started. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were also worried that uh, you know we'd lose vineyards, which we have as well. Uh, fortunately, the last ten years we, we've managed to you know be consistent with the vineyards that we work with. Mm-hmm. And I think that now, if we lost vineyards um, that our single vineyards are attached to, we would change. I would change the names. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You see, you know, so yeah. so, but but that's also because our, our focus has shifted, um, you know, to being one of really representing vineyard yeah. rather than than winemaking. And the narratives yeah.
1: change as well when you talk about the wines. You're actually exactly. You actually talk about the vineyard more. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it was yeah. interesting again talking to John about yeah. his um, paper kite. Yeah, coming from one vineyard. Yeah, and now paper kite comes from a different vineyard. Yeah, and his process through that as well. For sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, just a, more of a uh, an interesting sort of philosophical. Um, no, no, exactly.
0: You know, and you look at something like Cuba Cinema that the, the vineyard changed uh, in twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so so eight, well seven, but we won't that doesn't count. <laughs> seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten. Bottled wines. And then yeah. yeah. Uh and then eleven we had a crossover. So we had some from the new vineyard and some from the old vineyard. Um but since eleven it's it's been from, from the same vineyard, you know. Cool. So uh, it also it it's just become part of the story now, I suppose. Cool. Yeah.
1: Um so you made your wines at Immelrand up until you said 2013? 2014,
0: 2014. was the last vintage there. Okay. And then I moved to Harbors Clough, middle of 2014. Okay. So 2015 was my first vintage here. Okay. Yeah. And did you move here as the winemaker or did you come here as? I came here as, as the as seller master. Te- as a tenant. Or? As a, no, no, as, as kind of seller master, yeah, you yeah. know. So. uh, That first year, the the assistant to the previous winemaker, he kind of became winemaker, winemaker, and I became cellar master. You know, it also kind of um, uh, allowed me to also just get to know uh, the cellar, get to know the vineyards. It took a bit of pressure off the the day to day kind of running of things, you know. So, um, yeah, but I I did have free reign to direct things as I I wanted, which my father in law has been incredibly. Uh, good about you know, mm. so, yeah,
1: and there has been some pretty
0: significant change,
1: yeah, um, in uh, sort of six years.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, I think um, uh, the wines were, were, were. I think were really well made previously, but they were made in a much uh, kind of let's say old school South African style. Mm-hmm. You know, so so fairly heavily extraction, quite a lot of new oak used, and those wines have actually ten years down the line are actually starting to show really well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they were also quite made wines, so I, I just basically took the philosophy that I developed with Crystallin um, and started using that with Harbour's yes. Curve. Know, so uh, a more natural approach, you know, even our kind of entry-level wines now are all naturally fermented. Um, our Sauvignon Blanc is even naturally fermented now, you know, so that's, that's been quite an interesting journey. Um, and then we, we have two ranges, we have our Estate range, uh, which are entry-level wines and then we have the Landscape Series, which is a range of wines that I've introduced and there we do an Old Vine Shannon from bought-in fruit. Uh, we do a Souvenir Semillon that's becoming a straight Semillon, uh, two uh, site and soil specific Syrahs and we do a Cabernet Franc. Cool. Uh, so the Cabernet Franc and the Syrahs also something that I've introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, they, that Landscape Series has replaced what was the Reserve range um, and then there was a, a Reserve Syrah there and there was a Reserve uh, border style blend, which uh, no longer exists. Okay. Yeah. And how about the name? Was that the name of the property when they bought it, or what was? No. The so the uh, I'm not sure what the name of the property was, but I think it was something fairly generic that's used uh, in the wine industry. Okay. Uh, like, yeah, quite commonly. Yeah. Um, so it's not available for.
1: No. For a trademark. Yeah.
0: Um. And looking back into the history of the farm. Uh, in the 1800s, a gentleman by the name of Gabriel Leroux, a uh, descendant of uh, French Huguenots, uh, was the owner of the property and he actually had vineyards planted on the property at that time. Okay. So he made what we like to think of as uh, high-quality wine for the passing wagons, but was probably poor-quality brandy. Yeah. Anyway, but that's, that's the story. you know. Yes. So Gabriel Leroux and it became Gabriel's Clef. You know? yeah.
1: Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Now, um, and Chris, tell them what else is, I mean, you started off with, as you say, Chardonnay… Pinot
0: Noir and Blanc. Yeah, yeah. Did you make the souvenir Blanc again or just that one year? No, I made it, I think, seven, eight and nine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And why did you lose it? Just because it's um, Sauvignon Blanc? Or? Because it's souvenir Blanc. Yeah. <laughs> Got to be careful what I say. No, no not just because it's souvenir Blanc, but also just because we, we, we're we in a position to be able to focus mm-hmm. and I think that's quite a privilege in the wine industry, you know, when you can focus just on a on a couple of varieties and it just it made sense from, from a lot of angles. Okay. Yeah. And your first wines
1: in 08, 09, What mm. were, you, were, you, were you calling them um, Peter Max and… Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. so uh, Peter Max was named after the, the growers that we bought from in that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter and Max, we don't work with those growers anymore, but we've kept the name. Yeah. Uh, Cuba Cinema, named after the fact that a movie was made uh, where that vineyard is now planted. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a big event in the town of minus not that that takes too much, mm-hmm. um, but a movie on the life of Napoleon and his time in St Helena Island. <laughs> um, so yeah, hence the name Cubo Cinema. Clay Shales was reference to the the soil type, uh, Bokkeveld shale, uh, with a large, uh, you know, um, clay composition in the soil. Um, yeah. How, how would you describe the the names of uh, Christadelph?
1: No, 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 I was just wondering where came from. <laughs> what About Agnes, for example.
0: Agnes is my uh, great grandmother. So we okay. spoke about Eleanor Finlayson mm-hmm. uh, earlier, and Agnes Floyd was her mother. Okay. So she was the first Floyd to come into the country, and she was sent to South Africa as a fourteen-year-old alone on a ship uh, to be an au pair. Right. Yeah. Shit. From. So interesting. From London. From London. Yeah. Okay. So she was quite a battle-axe, yeah. uh, I think only two of her uh, five children married and my grandmother Eleanor had to elope right. because she didn't approve of my grandfather uh, having some Jewish roots. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. And she is apparently the first lady to have a driver's license in the city of Cape Town.
1: So run me through. Um... Uh, f- what what is what is a full complement of crystalline Mines? um so there's the Agnes which is the sort of the Agnes the multiple, blend, the blended, multiple vineyard uh,
0: multiple vineyard blend uh Clay Shells Himalayan Ridge single vineyard Chardonnay um, Pinot's Peter Max multiple vineyard uh, Pinot blend from all the different vineyards we work with um, then we have the Cuba Cinema which is Himalayan Ardo Ridge uh, single vineyard Pinot um, we have the Mabalal, which is out of the Himalayan order. That's an area called Ilanzkliff, uh, which is behind the town of Felizdorp, about uh, 50 kilometers north of where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have the Bonafide. So much more continental. Yeah, yeah, climate. much more continental. 700 meters high. Yeah, sandier um, soils. Little sandier, but still with a clay base. Okay. So that's that's important to me. Um, Bonafide Himalayan order valley. Uh, the vineyard I share with, with Hannah Storm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have bought a piece of land with a friend of ours, Ivan van Weijk, which is um, classified as Overberg, but we are working on uh, creating an uh, award for that area and it'll be called Shores Mountain because the mountain okay. behind it is called Shores Mountain. Yeah. And that's yeah. in
1: between Imalan Arda and Caledon.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay. Maybe,
1: yeah. maybe chat to us just quickly about the Imland Arda. I mean it is people call it Imalin Arda, but there is no yeah. area called Imlin Arda. It's either Valley, Ridge, and Upper yeah. Valley. So there's no actual Imlan
0: Arda overall WO. That's actually three separate WOs. The, yeah, three separate wards. Um, so that was all, that was confirmed in 2006. And prior to that, there was much uh, discussion, some heated. It still still goes on. It still it? goes on. Yeah, <laughs> about what to call the area. And, you know, the, the thing is, it, it really depends on who you ask. You know, mm. some people used to call that whole valley between Caledon and Hermanus um, the Himalayanata Valley. Mm. Um, other people, uh, you know, refer to only the area where bushard Finlayson is as the valley, you know, so, uh, yeah. It, in terms of
1: W.O.s, the valley is the first part. But what it part, is now, yeah. yeah,
0: so what it officially now yeah. is now is uh, the valley, which is the first part, the lowest region. So going origin, from, from, the, from the ocean inland. Exactly, yeah. from the ocean inland. Uh, and that's the original area that had vineyards, so where Himmelinado, bushard Finlayson are, mm-hmm. um, and the Frida farm where myself and Hannes get fruit. Then you go for, you go up the hill, Uh, past Mm Lavillage and that's the upper Valley. And how much are you going up there in terms of altitude? Uh, it's, about, it's about 100, 150 metres. So okay. we're Helmholtz, the Busch of between let's say 60 and 120 metres. Mm-hmm. And then you're going up to about 220 to uh, 280. And is there a soil difference up to, from those two places as well, or is it just... Yeah. So, the... no, it, it does it does get more uh, sandy and, uh, you know, got more decomposed granite in the upper Himalayan Valley. But you've also got clay, and then most of the subsoils are clay, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is important. And then as you go further up, you get to the Himalayanara Ridge. So that's the highest region and the region furthest away from the sea. Okay. Uh, and there you're talking sort of 280 to 450 metres, mm-hmm. uh, where we have our QS Cinema Vineyard and Ataraxia creation lines are. Mm-hmm.
1: OK, yeah. and the border there is pretty much where Himalurant is? Yeah, just is before Himalurant, yeah. yeah. Okay. And you know, if you had to sort of describe the differences in, in Pinnoir's
0: from those three, is it is it describable?
1: Yeah, well, it, really.
0: yeah it, it kind of is, but yeah. it's also, there, there aren't quite enough producers in each yeah, region yeah. to, you know... Um, it's a bit manufactured, the difference you think, at this point. Yeah, no, 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 I think there is a difference. Yeah. But I think it's difficult to know exactly what it is. Okay. You know, Himalayan Otter Valley, I think, is, is slightly warmer. Uh, a lot of the vineyards are north-facing. Uh, soil often has, has more stone and it's often a little tougher. Uh, wines, therefore, have, uh, usually have more structure. Uh, let's say more of a savoury side to it, mm-hmm. but also if you, if you look at you know look at uh, my pinots compared to Hannes, it's a very different style. Mm-hmm. You know we're both working quite naturally, but um, let's say I do maybe more skin contact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know whereas he will also do longer ageing in barrel. You know yeah. so there's there's all of those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things all all have a difference. Uh, the, the upper Yamanada Valley, I think, is often lighter because of the lighter soils. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's where so Newton is. Exactly, yeah, Restless, restless River, river yeah. who uh, we work with. Absolutely. Um yeah interesting that you inserted that name in there but you know they make fantastic wines and you know great people. Um it's called the Animo wine Co podcast. Mate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah. So is that Xanima? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you uh, yeah and then as you go up the hill obviously you get to the ridge and the ridge is is kind of I think combined sort of a brighter fruit yes uh compared to the valley uh with the structure that you that you get in the valley, you yeah. know so uh, you might not have quite the, f- the perfume that you get in the upper region, um, but you know, it has its own its yeah. own uh, you know, set of characteristics. Cool, cool, cool.
1: And, yeah. I mean, every year there's a, there's a Pin and mice celebration? Yes. At, uh, for the Himalana um, Neurons Association, I'm assuming? Is that what it is? It's or?
0: called the Himalana Wine Growers Association. Yeah, I, I'm not part of that. No, but why not? Yeah uh why not that is an interesting I mean, obviously uh, you're based in boty uh, yeah in it, it's it's part of it's part of being based in Bocher it's it's also I mean I would I was I would
1: uh state that if someone asked me who were the most important producers of lemonmon wine yeah has to be mentioned in that
0: cool um, well thank
1: you yeah yeah um, I mean, just
0: just for the <laughs> no look wait, wait, the the the, the Primary reason is the timing of it. So it's at the end of January, mm-hmm. uh, but we're by that point, I would have already started to harvest at Carbis Cliff. We work with with the old line Shinnan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd be coming in at that stage, and um, oh, yeah, dealing uh, some sweatland fruit. So you're exactly you, you're you know. Busy by then. So <laughs> yeah, and you know the, the I do have some assistance. Mm. In the cellar, uh, but I am still very involved during harvest time, and, and it's a time that I love, and a time that I that I need to be in the cellar, you know. So so that's the official reason, <laughs> and it, and it, um, and you need to go spear fishing. So, well, that, yeah, that's that's uh, might be part of it. You know? I have I have been in Mozambique a few times in, in January, but now I have young kids, so. Yeah. Yeah, all of that's off the table. Cool. Um, yeah, and it's also you know these things. I think these things are important, and they do they do great work. But I also don't have an estate in the Himalaya. Everyone else, um, you know, that's part What's of that, yeah, has yeah. a property, has a tasting room, yeah.
1: that kind of thing. So you're effectively you know, so. buying fruit from there, yeah. Uh, and obviously, the new property so is isn't actually necessarily in in Himalinaudra Himalinaudra either. You know, either. Okay. so yeah. So I really interrupted you. We got we got to Bonafide, uh, do you say
0: Bonafide or Bonafide? Once again, depending on who I'm talking yeah, to. Okay. So, so uh, <laughs> with you, uh, bona fide. Bonafide. Bonafide. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, so Cuvée Cinema this year? Talk, yeah, talk definitely. So, yeah, I think probably the most structure that it's ever had. As that vineyard's gotten older, uh, planted in 08 I think. You know, it's naturally got more structure. It's a high density planted vineyard, so it's we've got 11,500 vines planted on 1.6 hectares. Mm-hmm. Um, so four tightly spaced rows uh, and then a tractor row. Okay. Uh, and that definitely gives uh, gives the wine more concentration because there's more uh, root competition okay. in and the s- soil. Smaller berries? Or? Yeah, smaller yeah. berries. Yeah. Um, You know, we extract very, very lightly on that, but it it always has quite a lot of structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But really, really happy with it. Really, really happy with it. I think it's beautiful. And how are you treating it in the winery? What do you...? uh... Yeah, so we do... it's got 70% whole cluster, so the most whole cluster it's had as well. Uh, The 2019, uh, we do a portion of it in uh, open-top fermenters, and then a portion of it in tank. so I, I favor kind of long, uh, you know, longer time on skins. So let's say four to six weeks on skins, especially when it's in tank, uh, very little extraction. Uh, we do a couple of pump overs, two or three the, whole, the entire uh, fermentation. Um, yeah, separate the the free run from the press juice, and that's about it. And in the whole cluster section, is there much um, carbonic? Is there much sort of? Yeah, there's quite a bit. Or? There's quite a bit of carbonic. Yeah, uh, that goes on the bottom, so you get a bit of natural crushing that happens, yeah. uh, and we do a little bit of foot stomping, mm-hmm. uh, but only a little bit just to extract some juice. Okay. Yeah. And what sort of wine results?
1: What happened if you had to talk about cuvée cinema as a wine over the time you've been working with it? Yeah. What are the sort of the uh, the characteristics of that vineyard what is that sort of not not necessarily just 19 but yeah is it the longest living of your wines is yeah it's, it's
0: certainly got the most structure it's yeah. uh i would say it's the longest living i'd say it's the most complete wine okay in terms of uh flavor profile you know it's it's got lovely light fruits is, is it your best wine you savory i wouldn't always say it's the best mm. you know there's certainly been vintages when, when bonafide's been better when mabalal has been better um but I'd say probably five years down the line, it's always the best one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, yeah. given given a bit of time, it's it's the best one, yeah. And being
1: in from the warmer part of the valley. Bonafide. Sorry, the um, c- cinema.
0: Well, once again, this depends on, on uh, who you ask. No, it's not, yes. I don't think it's the warmer part of the valley. Oh, okay. The, uh, no. Okay. Yeah. Right. Once again, depending on who you ask. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So in a, when,
0: so Bonafide,
1: would you be harvesting that first? Yeah. And yeah, then, so that's… then and then, then M- M- Mabalil? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, right.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that depends. I mean, it's, it differs year to year. That's generally always the order. Yeah. Uh, but the, the time in between those picks uh, is uh, at times a week to two weeks apart. Uh, last year was a couple of days. hmm Yeah.
1: And Mabalil? Yeah. From 19? What yeah. do
0: what we... What yeah,
1: we, it's, it's pretty... Are uh, you making it similar to the Cuvée Cinema? Is, it, is your method No, similar? so that's
0: a lot less whole cluster, only okay. 10% whole cluster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find the, the profile of it when it comes in is a lot greener. Uh, slightly thicker skins. Um, and I, I just, I don't like the, the influence of whole cluster as much on it. Okay. Uh, so we do 90% percent destem stem there. Um, 19 was uh, quite atypical. Uh, for Mamelel, the uh, crop is a lot lower. It's only about a third of what it usually is. There was quite a lot of wind damage during flowering. And um, the wine's a lot more concentrated. It's quite a lot bigger than, than what it usually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still has a unique kind of Mamelel elegance. But uh, the the fruit profile is, is more concentrated and darker. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: Cool, cool, cool. And there's a couple of other wines now. There's a whole bunch.
0: Yeah. So the the whole bunch is a is a wine that I do in certain vintages. So I did it in 16, didn't do it in 17, did it in 18, 19, um, and and that's more of a kind of an experiment in longevity. Mm-hmm. So obviously working with 100 percent whole cluster, um, you're getting more tannin, you're getting more uh, you know stem tannin. Um, so the the I love whole cluster and Pinot, but I kind of want to see where that goes. And what happens to that over time, and how to treat that? Um, I also find it more challenging um, to make, mm-hmm. you know. So that's why I haven't made a hell of a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then the new wine that I'm really, really uh, excited about is the Litigo. Yeah. So that's uh, that we're making on the, the property that we own with Ivan Van Veek, who is mm-hmm. a lawyer. Um, I've been making a wine for him called Litigo. Uh, I think since 2014, uh, he's become a good friend of mine and helped me with a few legal matters. Uh, successfully, thankfully, and um, yeah, and the, the legal connection is the reason we've called it Latigo. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
1: And what do we expect from that? I mean, obviously, this is the Shores Mountain Ward yeah. to, to be, or, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, higher altitude? No, no it's, actually, no. it's actually about the same altitude as the upper Himalayan Valley. Okay. All uh, oh, right. Uh, so okay. it's about 220 meters. Yep. Uh, so we go down a little bit from the uh, Ridge. Um, yeah, it's also, the, you know, the vineyard's uh, seven years old, um, but it seems to have a lighter profile than the Cuba Cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, yeah, beautiful, beautiful palette weight on the wine. Um, we'll need time to know, uh, you know, what its profile is uh, and what it offers, but, yeah, looking, looking really good. Cool. Yeah. And what, in the winery, how are you, what are you doing About there? 25% whole cluster. Yeah. Uh, for the 19, um, other than that, yeah, I mean, that's the that's only thing that really changes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And then
1: the alavage, are you doing 300s, 500s of mm-hmm. mix? A uh, combination
0: of 500s, 300s, and 228s. Okay. Uh, we use about 20% New York on the single vineyards. Peter Max, about 5% New York. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Burgundian um, Oak uh, or Burgundian Cooperage uh, is and using a little a little Austrian oak now we've introduced. Okay. Uh, so the, the Chardonnay is almost primarily Austrian oak now, mm-hmm. uh, stocking it. and mm-hmm. then starting to use a little bit of it on the, on the Pinot. So yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that it's the best thing for the Pinot, so, uh, but absolutely love it on, on Play, Chardonnay. Baby steps. You know, yeah. you chat to us about Chardonnay and what are you, um, clay
1: shales, yeah. also your top Chardonnay. Yeah. Um, when are you harvesting that? What's, uh, when, how are you treating it when it's coming in?
0: Yeah, so harvesting
1: uh, usually
0: around mid-Feb. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you, are you making a,
1: uh, that decision based on bricks and acid and a combination? Of
0: everything, this? yeah. So yeah. mostly, I mean, I, I generally try and look at, at pH first. Okay. Uh, pH and acid, you know, total acid first. Uh, but obviously looking at bricks, looking at t- pretty much everything. You know, that, that's the most important decision yeah. uh, that I believe winemakers make. You know, especially in a warmer climate. You know, yeah. we can ripen most things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, Craig Vessels will tell you that. You know, it's sometimes you have to wait until April uh, when it comes to cab in the Himalayan order. Uh, but we're a warmer climate, so we're not limited by. This needs a farmer better. You know. Well, that's <laughs> exactly surplus. <less>. Um, <laughs> so, as I said, you know, you can ripen anything. So it's, it really is dependent on on when you pick, and sometimes you've got a two three day window. Uh, you know, to get your picking date right. Mm. Um, so that becomes really, really important.
1: And the clay shales, obviously clay and shales. Yep. what does that bring to the to the wine?
0: I mean, so what I like about that is that the the acids are usually higher mm. in those kinds okay. of soils because you've got better water retention. Yep. Uh we don't have any irrigation on that vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so the, that clay is, is really, really important, you know, just to keep those vineyards happier for a little longer. Um, but yeah, p- uh, picking, uh, we press, we use an old Vaseline press. Uh, so one of those old horizontal yellow uh, French screw presses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we use that because it's, it's very oxidative. Yeah. So the idea is to work... So ar- press, pressing a whole bunch. I'm yeah, sure. pressing a yeah. whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take about two to three hours to press. Uh, work quite gently, obviously. Um, um, yeah, straight into tank. Uh, we don't add any enzyme for settling, so just rough settling overnight. Keep it at about 10 degrees. And then into into oak afterwards, and that's majority foodra. So the 19 is about 80% uh, foodra. So okay. 15 liter foodra, uh, and then a, a 500 500 liter barrel. Cool man. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, and how long is it otherwise for these things? Uh, that depends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes we bottle in December. Sometimes we bottle in January. Sometimes we bottle in April. Okay. Um, but it's usually about 10 months. So that's kind of your yep. average. Yeah.
1: And the two blended wines, um, how do you manage those? I mean, obviously there's a bit of triage with the fruit coming in from the single vineyards. I'm assuming not everything that comes from those vineyards probably ends up in the wine. No, no,
0: no, absolutely. So we, uh, and, we and you've obviously got other
1: vineyards to, to, to work at that. I mean,
0: yeah. Uh, but the, the whites are made in exactly the same way. So we yeah. we, we treat everything everything the same uh, with the whites. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to I've been trying to release another single vineyard Chardonnay since we started, but nothing's been as good as the clay shells. Yeah, so Okay. That's kind of the limiting factor, but it looks like I think in 2020 we'll have something from our own vineyard, oh, awesome. uh, from the Latigo property, that'll become the second uh, single vineyard shop. In there. Awesome. So, but like it. it's also like you know, yeah, something has to be able to stand up to clay shells before we can yeah. we can release yeah, it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And in terms of on the business side of things, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you price these things? I mean, is it? <laughs> <laughs> that, no, no. I, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. Curious because there's there's different schools of thought and. Um, I mean, some people say, "Well, it's one price for all the single vineyards. It's one price for the blended stuff." Or
0: so we we, we do. Yeah, the single vineyards are all at one price now. So we we started with the Chardonnay, lower than the Pinots, Mm -hmm. um, but they are all at one price. You know, we have different costs involved with the different vineyards. Some cost us more than others, but just to make it easier for everyone, we've we've line priced it. And you know, we started with the price for the Cuba Cinema in two thousand and eight. I think it was one hundred and fifty rand, and just went from there, you know. So my dad's advice on pricing was, you know, think of a price and add ten percent because you you're generally going to undercut yourself or you know undersell yourself when you start out because you're worried.
1: Yeah, the confidence, self-confidence. Exactly. Quite, yeah, 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 yeah,
0: especially when you when you, um, you know, don't have a winemaking degree or much to back yourself <laughs> with. Yeah, but also I mean, looking if you zoom back out and you're looking at the sort of the South African
1: industry yeah. uh, of your generation or our yeah. generation even. I mean, a lot of guys and girls, uh, pricing is just this sort of like thumbsuck, like blindfolded stab in the dark, um, and only realise where they should be five, six, seven years into the project, by which time it's very difficult to... Yeah, and usually underpricing. To to change. I think that's, Yeah. yeah. You know, so, as you say, start and say,
0: oh, no, 150
1: bucks is fine. Yeah. But then when you actually want to make a living from it, 150 bucks is not
0: quite enough. It's actually not quite enough. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a difficult thing, you know, because you, um, it's an impossible decision to get right. Yeah. Because you just don't know. Yeah. You know, you kind of, you look at other wines and you try and benchmark yourself, but then you're also trying to benchmark yourself against established wines, you know. So it's sort of like, you know, let's say somebody's coming out with a, with a new syrup that, that they believe is really, really good and they go and look at, okay, what are the good Syrahs, but then you look at Maligny, you know, you, you can't bring out a wine at a thousand rand a bottle. Well, you can, but good you're likely. probably not going to sell it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, th- there's a reason why they're charging that for their wine, you know, mm. so, uh, but then also guys like Ibn, I mean, when his Kali Miele came out, I think it was about 400 rand plus mm. in 2001, yes. which was a very, very high price yeah. at that stage. I think people laughed at him at that stage as well, you know, but he was just, the quality was there, you know, and he backed himself. So, um, it's, yeah, you, you try and benchmark, you try and look at, at what else is out there, uh, what other people are charging, but you, sh- you don't know how your wine's going to be re- received, you know, so oh. it's a really, really difficult decision.
1: Looking forward, putting your um, mm. sort of uh, Nostradamus um, binoculars on. Trucker cap on. Yeah. Mm, exactly. Uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir in South Africa. Where is yeah. it going? Is there any areas that apart from um, Shore Mountain, which obviously you're very well, it's, and that's, it's, that's, that's the future of premium. Some would say it's part <laughs> of the Himalayan order. Yeah, yeah yes, right, okay. <laughs> uh, what's, what's happening with the show I mean, what, yeah, be, who, what, what should, what should um, interested people be looking at uh, going forward?
0: Um, look, I mean, you know, you alluded to it earlier, that there's so many sites in South Africa, you know, in Elgin, and Ceres, High Altitude, you know, there, there's in the mountains outside of George, you know, um, uh, there's so many new places that, that we can plant Pinot and Chardonnay uh, that haven't been explored yet. But it's a difficult thing. It's expensive to plant and to experiment with planting is, is a very, very brave decision. You know. Yeah.
1: But would Chardonnay and Pinot not be one of the more saleable uh, grapes um, yeah. if you were planting them? I mean, I would have thought there would be more demand for uh, Chardonnay Pinot more than, say,
0: other varieties like Mved or Look, I mean, I think or... Mved and Tinta Barocca is, you know, an easy decision to make in that. Yeah. Um, well,
1: viticulturists the, love them, but people who actually want to pay for wine... Want to
0: pay for wine.
1: Don't
0: tend to... Wine. No, uh, they are. You know, certainly are and I'm surprised there aren't more that have come out. But it's also, you know, Pinot is, uh, you know, to get Pinot right, I mm-hmm. think, is, is also tricky. You know, yeah. it's... Um, it has to be, you know, it has to be planted in the right place. Uh, I think the person dealing with it must know what they're doing. Um, you know, in my case, just get lucky. Who knows? But I think there is a hell of a lot of potential in South Africa. Uh, in certain places, a lot of potential, but it's it's also limited by where it can be grown. You know, yes. something like Mouvat, um, may be more difficult to sell, but probably much more suited to the general climate in South Africa. Yeah, no, it's a
1: great it's a great plant. Than Pinot is, yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. it's not, a, not necessarily the, the greatest commercial decision, perhaps.
0: No, and, and those do come into play. You yeah, know, you yeah. as somebody who sells wine. Um, no, I had this conversation but, with um,
1: someone like Russo, yeah. uh, who's absolutely not focused on the commercial aspect. No. Of, of And nor should she, that's not her job. Um, but it's interesting when we, uh, when we chat, we obviously come at these things from very different positions. Yeah. Um, so it's a very interesting you know, academic conversation. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah, and I think it's important to experiment, you know, guys like Eben with all the varieties that he's planted and experimenting with, you know, that, that really, really needs to happen, you know, but uh, it's one thing, you know, planting AGR Argerko, but that's not going to be the new souvenir Blanc anytime soon, is it?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on who's making it as well. <laughs> no, no,
0: <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, and it, we, the industry does need people like you obviously, to do that. Mm. And I think we'll definitely look at planting some interesting, interesting yeah. varieties. Here. Yeah, well, but s- one's got to keep it in context. Done amazing things with
1: Albernia. Exactly. It, it yeah. Seems to
0: be commercially viable for yeah. them. Uh, and
1: so, and they're not shy in in pumping out, you know, the souvenir. Uh, yeah.
0: Or yeah, but they've also been able to do that because they make life from stone. Yes. Yeah. yeah know, of course. Yeah. But I mean,
1: they are in a position to. To put a, a commercially relevant amount of Albarino into the marketplace, sure. whereas someone like Yubin is not going to be able to do that with. Also true, um, yeah. uh, with some of the Greek varieties, he's putting in. The yeah, print. yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. not his plan, you know. Yeah, plan. Yeah. yeah, No, very cool. And personally, what uh, what are you drinking
0: at the moment? What are you What are you um, Both fuck, local, I, I had local, a, locally um, and internationally. So I had a bottle of one of the best wines I've had this year, uh, 2007, um, and you're going to hate me for this, uh, Bartolo Mascarello uh, Barolo. Okay. It was pretty perfect, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. They're okay, those ones. Yeah, they're okay. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I had a few things. But, um, I mean, you've, you've sort of fallen in love with Italy a little bit, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, Nicolene um, speaks Italian, my wife. Yeah. Uh, she spent a year there. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been there, I think, three times now and uh, absolutely love it. So. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, mostly Piemontese uh, wines, you No,
0: no, no. Unfortunately, I don't have uh, many. I have Samborallo in my cellar and yeah. I generally try and, try and age it for as long as I can. Um, what else have we had? I've been having some of the, the 2018 Memento, uh, Grenache recently, uh, which is always excellent. Uh,
1: is that, that Swatland fruit? That yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Uh, had Butchie's new uh, Broom Ridge, which was replacing the Fire by Night, which is really, really lovely. I, I reckon uh, it could be a game changer for Chenin Blanc in South Africa. Yeah, I think it's that good. Really doing. elegant, yeah. uh, but understated and understated. Proper, exactly, yeah.
1: proper vinous, not like. Yeah, I had this conversation with him at, when we tasted it uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's like a, it's just a grown-up version of yeah. what he's been doing. Exactly, because I mean, there's yeah. been this pressure on South African wine to be so drinkable on release. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think which is now in a position where he's got the runs on the board that yeah. he doesn't need to have exactly. the upfront fruit in the bottle anymore exactly necessarily. Yeah. so yeah. yeah, it will be interesting to see how that's received. I mean uh, again our friend Christian was more in more impressed by the, the citrus L mountain wines yeah. Uh, whereas I think the broom ridge is
0: those no I a step I, above those other ones. But I love it sir eh? yeah, yeah you know he's yeah he's 220 not out and he can start playing some shots exactly yeah? right in, yeah like in reverse sweeps from it, you know, exactly <laughs> from so, <outside> leg stuff <laughs> yeah let's not, let's not go down that rabbit hole um, what uh, yeah other thing I had on the weekend was the 2019 uh, sons of Sugarland oh uh, yes Sarah absolutely love that so one it's Reen and Borman Renan um, Borman and that, is um,
1: that um, I, I, is that carabep fruit?
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, and, and somebody like Renan and, and Lucas from Lockenburg, um I think are, are changing the face of, of Stillebosch wines in a lot of ways, you know. Mm. Stillebosch does cab really, really well, you know, in a certain style of cab. Um, but those, especially their, their Syrahs, I think, are uh, showing people that you, you can make, um, you know, Northern Rhone Cotre tea-ish, style wines uh, from Stellenbosch.
1: It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the Cravens have started doing a Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. Um, in that sort of new wave Stellenbosch sort of group. Yeah. Not official group, but you know who we're talking about. That's yeah, of yeah. newer generation. It's going yeah, to be interesting yeah. to see if some of those guys, because they've tended to, as you say, sort of go towards sort of Syrah or Cabernet Franc in Lucas's case as yep. well, or Sinso. Yeah. Uh, if they're gonna actually start concentrating on Cabernet Sauvignon or, yeah. or, or not. I mean, the Malonews have have, have, uh, have put their, dipped their not so insignificant toes in that, no. in that water as well. So it's gonna be interesting to see see how that goes. I mean, Absolutely. even someone who's, who you would say is is new Stellenbosch in a way, if you look at the big picture of it, say some, something like Brevere Arts, yeah. hasn't really concentrated on
0: yeah, I think it's, Cabernet I think the, 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 the whole kind of, um, it's, uh, uh, you know, but also identity of Stellenbosch Cab has also changed in the last five years a lot, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think Cab was almost like just another thing they did, Yeah. but now they're really, really starting to take it seriously. And, you know, that's inspired somebody like Mick, I think, to actually say, okay, cool, but you guys are doing it in this way, but hey, yeah. we can actually do it in this way as well, you know. And what uh, wines would you think uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Stellenbosch, over those last five years, would, would sort of uh represent that change look i think larish isn't so much of a change as, as a continuation you know mm-hmm. but also yeah i mean it's know, not revolutionary they're just sort of yeah they're fine-tuned exactly fine-tuned know. and and christo i think as well is taking over as you know the wines are, are getting better mm-hmm. better and better um, it's not a variety that i drink all that much of so okay. uh, yeah. just thank you to the uh to everyone at ex animo for affording me this incredible opportunity yes. uh, to be interviewed by a great man such as yourself, David Clark. Thank you very much for your time. I really cool. appreciate it. <laughs> Cheers, cool. man.